Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Well, how are you doing this morning? Good. I, I don't know about you, this whole uh, thing with Pokemon Go has really taken uh, everyone by surprise. Uh, have you seen people walking around like this lately? Yeah, I see it all over parks, everywhere. There were a couple, uh, I'd say teenagers, they were riding longboards, and they were in front of my house, and they were, uh, had their phones out in front. And uh, I said, you know, ask the obvious question, hey, are you playing Pokemon Go? And they said, yes. And one of them said, this game did in 48 hours what Michelle Obama had tried to do in the last eight years, and that's get kids outside uh, <laughs> out of their house. It's really incredible. Uh, some sad things. A couple people have actually walked off cliffs playing Pokemon Go. Uh, people have tried to play while, drive, while driving. Uh, it's, if, you're, if you say, hey, what does this matter? You know, I'm sort of a business person. Uh, this seems dumb. Well, I want to give you some stats on this. Uh, Nintendo Corporation, which is their North American headquarters right here in Redmond, they own about 32% of Pokemon. And uh, since this uh, came out just recently, their stock has gone up 87%. Uh, yeah, it's added over $17 billion in value uh, to the company. Absolutely incredible. T-Mobile, to attract more customers, is now giving you free data for Pokemon Go. Uh, five days ago, uh, the number of users of Pokemon Go uh, outpaced uh, uh, Tinder, the dating app, which if you're single, you probably shouldn't be using it. If you're married, you really shouldn't be using it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, as of uh, three days ago, it outpaced Twitter and now has more daily users than Instagram. It is in growing incredibly uh, fast. Its growth has been uh, absolutely exponential. And, and you look at that and it's a, it's a welcome distraction, isn't it? Uh, there are some good news stories in the world, and I, I think it's important uh, not to forget those. There are some good things, many good things happening in our country, and the economy and the stock market's doing really well. We look at even in our own church. This summer has been uh, really the biggest summer we've ever had in terms of number of people attend. We had 500 kids at uh, Vacation Bible School and High School camp last week uh, hearing about Jesus. And I think that's good to remember because there are some things where there's exponential growth, and it's not the kind of growth that we would like to see. It's been the exponential growth of some troubling news in our world uh, and in our country. And uh, when, when I'm here and I, I get the opportunity to speak to you on the weekends, I, I always believe my ultimate responsibility is to teach you the scriptures and uh, understand what God would say to you through that. And today we're going to look at some scriptures that I think intersect in uh, a very pertinent and timely way with some of what's going on uh, in our country. Uh, we look uh, at what's going on and we see uh, the terrorist acts over the last, around the world, I think we often forget 
uh, that even how horrible what happened in Orlando in our own country, uh, that around the world there's been more and, and uh, attacks and bigger things going on. We Just a few days ago in France, last week, uh, there were incredible, and not the first time, but just uh, another unfortunate flare-up of racial tensions that I think we can become immune to, especially if it doesn't affect you personally, in Louisiana, in Minnesota, and then the uh, killing of five police officers, wounding of others in Dallas. And we have this, this complexity, which is our world. And, and in this series, which interestingly enough, we're, we're looking at questions, I've been asked a couple questions lately. And one of the, the questions I've been able to distill really into this, what is God going to do about what's wrong in the world? Is God even, does he care, is he involved? And then the other question, because many of you are, you know, you want to make a difference is what am I supposed to do in the middle of this as well? What I want to tell you, what we're not going to be able to accomplish today, we're not going to be able to end terrorism in the world today. I wish we could. We're not going to be able to uh, stop all racism and racial tensions in our country or around the world. But I think what we can do is gain an understanding and that God has a plan for us in the midst of this. Uh, I think one of the things that's so important as you look at uh, things, especially uh, things that divide us uh, as a world and as a country, is to approach it with incredible uh, humility. Understanding, uh, you know, that, that I don't understand everything uh, it means and, and your experience uh, might be uh, different than my experience. And, and I think when we approach anything with humility, we have the opportunity to learn and grow. After the, uh, 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 the killings uh, in our country and all of that that happened, there was a police officer uh, who received a gift, gift basket, basket from one of his neighbors. And I, I thought the person who sent this, just and obviously you can tell the person's a Christ follower, represents the heart of God and the humility that we should have in the midst of this. This will, if we can put this up on the screen as well. Uh, the person writes, Dear neighbor, I, I will never know what it's like to be a white male in a blue uniform, to see what you see and to feel what you feel. You will never know what it's like to be black, to see uh, what I see and feel how I feel. However, we both know what it's like to serve a community that's on edge and worry about our loved ones and our future. My prayers are with you and your fellow officers around the country while continuing to keep our city at ease. I pray that you're safe and you will always do what is morally right. God bless you. What an incredible example of compassion, love in action, and humility. Because there is a sense where, where we're, we're called to engage with our world. And, and here's, you know, if, if people could dial it down a little bit, especially on social media. I know some of you, you love social media a little bit too much. You have a thought and it comes into your head and you start typing before the thought's over. Uh, 
I, I honestly, uh, I think it's okay to express yourself. Uh, I, I think there's some wisdom in doing what uh, this person did. Uh, but, but then there's also the sense that I, I just shouldn't be completely disengaged. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King uh, uh, once said, in the end, we will not remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. I was thinking about this when it came to, uh, obviously, uh, you know, we're talking about a lot of things. We're talking about what's wrong in the world, not just racial issues, but it, what happens in it, terrorism, all of that. Uh, but I was thinking about the complexities that we need to embrace as a society. See, the further you are away from a problem, the simpler it seems. Like, by the way, some of you are having marriage problems. I know what's wrong in your marriage. I could fix it in two seconds. You know why? Because I don't live with your spouse. Uh, so it's really simple. Your problems look really easy to me because I don't live in them day in and day out. I, I mean, if you could get away from the rhetoric of both parties, I honestly think we've had uh, last, at least, at least the last couple presidents, few presidents or more of both parties have done more, really if you were going to look at it objectively, very good people who've tried to uh, deal with some of the uh, issues of division and racial inequality. Uh, has it been necessarily successful? I don't think any of them would say that was the case. See, there's complexities, especially, uh, you know, there's, there's more than just black and white in America. There's all sorts of uh, communities. We know that. Uh, and, but there's the complexities that have to do with sort of the, the history of slavery, and, and we don't get that, and how that just even affects things today in a way that I don't think really anyone completely understands. Humility is always a great course of action as we move forward. But there's, there's the bigger questions that, uh, that we, from a cosmic perspective, is if God is real, why does this bad stuff happen? Does God not care? Is God absent? Last week, and I hope you, if you weren't here, I hope you'll listen to that. Is there something unique in Christian theology, unique about how God worked with the nation of Israel? Uh, study the religions, all of them around the world of its day, and it's so radically different because God said to the nation of Israel, you will be blessed to be a blessing, and there was always room for people from, from the outside, from people who weren't like them. You just simply will not find anything like that. That isn't an idea that someone came up with, hey, we're enlightened now in the year 2000. This is thousands and thousands of years ago that was God's plan. But it, in the midst of that, how do we move forward? I think you need to understand, we need to understand some of the problem before we can get to solution. Uh, the first part of the problem is very simple. People sin. People, and by the way, I get pushback whenever uh, I, I say that. You know, I, I joke about, you know, hey, you know, we all sin. You have kids that are little sinners. Someone got mad at me. My kid's not a little sinner. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we all need a little reality check. That, uh, I mean, how many of you would admit the person next to you sins? How many of you would do that? Yeah. Uh, you would be more than willing to do that. Um, 
it says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, one of the things, uh, if you've been through a recovery program, first part is 12 steps, uh, which is based on, you know, biblical principles and the Beatitudes. And so people who are not of faith don't necessarily like it. Only really universally successful program for recovery from addiction in the world. It's, It's very millions and tens of millions of people broken free through the 12 steps. But the first step is you need to admit you have a problem because there's never any recovery without that. And so when we understand that, and it's very easy for, again, for me to see your sin, a little less easy for me to see mine. There's uh, also the reality is that we don't see God's wisdom. Have, I mean, just think about it in life. Have you ever thought something was a, not necessarily sin even, but you thought it was a good idea at the time and it turned out to be a bad idea? We all do that. We remember that. It's called junior high, right? We remember that. Uh, in fact, I came across uh, these, uh, th- these pictures, which are, of course, these are people's best idea. I thought these were funny. Uh, this one, think safety first. And then, uh, now this one, the human bike ramp, that is re- really sad. Uh, and then this man here, this is why you should hire a professional. Look close there. Foot in the water and the electricity. He's no longer with us. No, the, uh, uh, and then this one here. Now, the women are looking at that and saying, that is awful. The men are saying, well, I could see how that could work. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, this one, because we like to judge everyone else. <laughs> the Bible says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you because God has a different kind of wisdom than we do. See, it's interesting when I was talking about sin. In the, in the Enlightenment age, they are, there's this idea, and people still buy into it, which for me is a little perplexing, is that problems would be solved if people had enough wealth. Uh, we'll look at, uh, you know, people talk about inequality and wealth, but honestly, if you look at today, uh, there is really more wealth around the world than ever before. There might be more inequality, but there are people who, who are having that and access more and more access to education and health care. And it may not be perfect, but it's never been better on earth than it is today. This is the best it has ever been in history. And the idea is if people just had all of this stuff, then problems would cease. And we still buy into it, even though people have more than ever, and would you agree that some problems seem to be getting worse? But it's the definition of insanity is sort of believing or doing the same thing again and again and expecting a different result. I'm not saying we shouldn't work to make sure people have education and health care and, and all of that. But there could be something deeper going on. And that's this. I believe that evil and Satan are real. That there is evil in the world. There's Satan. I know uh, some of you say, I don't believe in Satan. And that's okay because he believes in you. And uh, he will work towards your ill. It says your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The fourth reality is this, is this is not heaven. See, if you yearn for peace, justice, freedom... 
not only in our world, but maybe in your life. Do you know who put that inside of you? God put that inside of you. C.S. Lewis, who uh, had come to adulthood, who was an atheist, he, he's a uh, was scholar at Oxford University, obviously a uh, well-known writer. He came to know Jesus Christ in his adulthood, and part of this was dealing with some of the complex issues of what was going wrong in the world of his day. He wrote in the book, Mere Christianity, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy... The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. So it begs the question, well, why doesn't God just bring everything to an end? Why doesn't he say, okay, you know, this is it? Because the Bible talks about how Jesus came the first time, and, and if you've missed some of the last weeks, he talked about all the, uh, the reality, the evidence, not only changed lives, but historical, archaeological, all of that. We can really believe and trust in that. But the Bible says that he will come again to make all things right. And there's this yearning inside of us, why doesn't that happen now? We read, it says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Remember what I talked about last week, is uh, Christian faith is unique and it sees every nation, person, race, individual, valuable in God's sight. The most hateful person who does horrible things. God, God gives them choice because really without choice there's no love, there's no freedom. But God's hope is that every person would choose life and redemption, and hope. And that we can uh, think about that, and that blows our mind. I, I talked about a few weeks ago, when you look at some of the, even the vitriol that we find in uh, our own society. Uh, I, I, as a Christian, by the way, do you know that you don't have an option who you pray for? That you have to pray for people who don't think like you and vote like you? You say, well, I don't want to. Well, if Jesus is Lord of your life, you actually don't have a choice anymore. The choice is, will I follow him? I'm not saying, you know, you vote for your party, you do all of that kind of thing. Uh, but we're, we're, we're taken to another level. As, as this return, this coming of Jesus Christ, and, and I know this concept can sort of blow our mind as well, this idea that God would, would come again to make all things right, we want that. See, we, we want that, but oftentimes maybe uh, we don't experience that. It's like that first verse that I, that I didn't read, which uh, actually is from the Psalms. It's, it's from a lament where uh, the psalmist says, God, why do you stand so far off? We feel more like we're in that space instead of the space of hope. Peter, when he talks about Jesus coming again, and he says, you, you know, that, that he can come again and make all things right, he's waiting because he doesn't want anyone to perish, and he says, the Lord is near, and then in the next five verses, he says, in, in light of Jesus returning, what to do? And I think this applies to us today. We don't know when. That could be uh, a day, a year, a thousand years. So what should I do this side of heaven? We don't have to poke around in the dark. It says in Proverbs 2, 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. 
So the ends of all, all things near. So what do I do? Number one, evaluate myself first. Isn't that a bummer? Because I love evaluating you. Uh, and that, that's really, really important. It says, the end of all things is near. So therefore, be clear-minded, self-controlled, so that you can pray. And uh, we read elsewhere in First Peter, it says this, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. That's where we, we say, you know, I can, uh, how, how am I treating my neighbor? How am I living my life and honoring God? How open am I to his direction in my life, his correction in my thinking? And then we're told to express love in tangible ways. Uh, it says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. You get that because you get the idea that there were probably some people grumbling there. And you say, okay, can that make a difference? Because I, I know some of you are interested in more uh, personal issues, some of you more societal macro issues, some of you even big global issues. There's really precedent for that. Uh, the Christian church and followers of Jesus Christ who uh, for the first three to four hundred years had not only no political power, they were a uh, persecuted group, hunted, Nero hunted them and tried to uh, kill them and he was successful a bunch of the time. But there was this sort of subversive love. Three years ago I was in Italy and as I was uh, walking around uh, so, uh, the Colosseum, and they had, there's actually many in Rome, there's uh, uh, a couple big Colosseums, and many of these are where they had the gladiatorial games. And this is where one person would kill another person for sport. And you think, that's horrible. Well, it not only was an economic driver of the day, it had the full and unwaving support of the Roman Empire. And yet people were coming to Christ and they're like, you know, it's probably not a good thing for, the, for us to participate in that. And my guide, who by the way was no, she, she, she said she thought Christianity brought down the glory of the Roman Empire. So she was no Jesus fan. Uh, and uh, so I whacked her. No, I'm just kidding. The, uh, uh, no, I prayed for her. <laughs> but the... Uh, but she said, you know why these games ended? Because Christianity had so spread throughout the Roman Empire that literally people stopped showing up and it became economically unviable. You say, well, what have you mean? Well, why, why focus on God changing a human heart? Think about it. the most heinous thing in the Roman Empire changed. Simply as person to person shared Jesus Christ and people acted and behaved differently because God had changed their heart. You think about that back in the Roman Empire, the practice of, of uh, real, really female infanticide where they would take the little baby girls because they weren't valued and they'd just throw them uh, out on the, uh, on the porch to die and there were Christians who took care of them. And that ended and there's, you, throughout history, and I think, even though, uh, as I, I encourage you to be politically engaged, but, but I think there's a reason those solutions often fall quite short, is because our hearts need to change. And God is in the 
in that business? The question is, is, am I in that business too? So really what this means is I need to commit to make a difference. Commit to make a difference. And I don't know about you, do you get a little overwhelmed sometimes? I honestly, you know, you can almost get numb to, uh, I mean, even think about this attack in uh, France this last week. And there's just been so many, it can all, all almost get a numbness to it. And we forget, well, maybe I'm not going to stop global terrorism, but there's something that God has called me to do. I'm supposed to uh, evaluate myself, where's my heart, show love in tangible ways, and commit to make a difference. And uh, that's what we, we find uh, in the scripture. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Says Jesus is coming back, it doesn't say, hey, let's huddle around and try to make our end time charts of when Jesus is coming back. By the way, people will do that, and anyone who tells you that, you, you even see the billboards, Jesus is coming back, you know, February 20th. Uh, the Bible says that person doesn't know, and actually that person's a liar. So don't tell them that, because then we'll sort of cause more discord. Just walk away very quickly. If anyone speaks, they should do, to, do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so uh, with the strength that God provides, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. I, I was thinking about this, this uh, when I was on vacation for a bit, there was a, uh, a, someone who was in my youth group. He, I was a junior high pastor, uh, actually, for a long time. And I say to people, can you believe I was a junior high pastor? Everyone goes, yep. Yeah, <laughs> saw that one, and uh, so I uh, haven't changed a lot since then. But n there's a, a category of people who don't change much from junior high. We call them men in general. And so uh, the, uh, I was junior high pastor. This kid, him and his brother, they're twins, uh, a great, uh, great couple of guys, uh, really had come to uh, deeper faith in Christ and uh, uh, he, both brothers had become pastors over the years, uh, and now in their late 30s, and I saw one of them had had a stroke. This is a guy who's a surfer, great shape, I mean, just one of those things you just can't even imagine, and I got that sense of I should do something. But you know what paralyzed me a little bit is this whole concept of fairness. A Andy Stanley, uh, a great author, he he makes a statement. He says, do for the one what you wish you could do for everyone. And uh, my, I, you know, I come from, my wife is big into fairness. She was one of 11 kids. And her parents uh, had, there, and by the way, one mom and dad, you know, so two parents, 11 kids. <laughs> uh, I had like 12 parents and five kids in my family, which is a whole other story. But the, in, her, in her family, it was, it, you had to do equal for everyone. But sometimes God is just calling you to make the difference for that one person. Maybe that's all you can do. And so uh, they had a, a site. He, uh, they don't have the resources to cover some of their expenses. And so I decided, usually I just give the church and missions organizations. I don't usually, uh, to a lot of these uh, funding sites, I really never give to them. But I just thought, you know, this is a time I feel like God is calling me to act. And so I got involved. I actually put it on my Facebook. A bunch of you gave. And it was like in this point in time, 
Now, now my fear was a bunch of you were going to be, oh, you, oh, that's great, Pastor Ben, and now here's my cause, and I want you to, you know, go fund me. No, you go fund you. You can go ahead and do that. Uh, it's, no, actually, I will do it again. Every 40, 50 years, I'm going to do this. But sometimes we can let the overwhelming keep us from the one thing that we can do. Remember that note I read with the lady in the gift basket? How do you think that rocked when her world, faithful to Jesus, that officer's world, just did the thing that she could do? See, God has given us an opportunity to make a difference, a tangible difference in our world. Because when God changes a human heart, amazing things can happen. I, I was reminded of it this, uh, this last week. Uh, my wife, who uh, used to uh, work at the church, she uh, was uh, working on our staff doing growth groups, but I had to fire her for performance issues. And the, uh, no, I'm just kidding, she quit. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> she got tired of working with me. And uh, so she went to work for a local technology company that is probably, you know what I'm talking about. So, uh, so she, she went to work there. And uh, we went to uh, a game, Sounders game, with her coworkers. By the way, Sounders weren't doing so well. Uh, I went to the game. They won five to zero over Dallas. You're welcome. Just want to say that. And uh, so, so we were there. Had a great time getting to know her coworkers. Obviously, there's the odd, you know, there people are, you know, they're going to ask that, you know, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I love to go hiking. And, uh, you know, because I'm trying to avoid the question, because, you know, there are a few of them when, what do you do? And I said, a pastor, you would think I said, I had the, I have the Zika virus and a gaping sore on my hand, you know? Uh, uh, but, uh, but I understand that. Uh, anyway, that's no joke. Uh, maybe there's all sorts of reasons. I don't know their background. I don't know what they experienced with maybe people who call themselves Christ followers. I don't know what they experienced in church. But I know that my, my just prayer was this, is that God, use me in this moment to make a difference. See, so often we're, we, we focus on, uh, especially if you've been a Christ follower a long time, what's going on in our world, and, and that's not a bad thing, but you know the world has come to us in our area. I just went through, and this, I'm going to miss some of you. I just went through just the nationalities. I know of a people who are regular attenders of Timberlake, I, with people from Germany, France, Britain, Romania, Moldavia, Finland, Sweden, Japan, Korea, Vietnam, the Philippines, Indonesia, uh, Colombia, Tonga, Mexico, Chile, Australia, New Zealand, Panama, Panama, Kenya, Ethiopia, South Africa, Nigeria, Canadian. We even allow Canadians in here. They're a suspect group, though. The, uh, uh, India, Egypt, Russia, Israel, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Singapore, Malaysia, Venezuela, Jamaica, Trinidad, and I'm sure I missed some folks. And for such a time as this, we don't even need to travel anywhere. Maybe it's across the street, maybe it's across the room to make a difference. Like the early Christians who saw the gladiator games and and said, we can't maybe change Nero's heart. 
but we can change our own and other people. And maybe for you today, it's opening up your own heart to God. Forgiveness, grace, redemption, healing. Saying, God, here I am, send me. I told you a story a number of years ago, and I want to tell you the story that comes after that. The story was this. I was pastoring down in San Diego. There was a lady in our church. Uh, she was a single mom and a Navy officer, a great woman, uh, loved Jesus, tough lady as well. She had one daughter, and her daughter uh, babysat for my daughters. Well, her, she loved three things. She loved Jesus, her daughter, and the United States Navy. She really did. And her daughter died at 18 put her whole world into it. No real good explanation for what had happened. And during the service, uh, as people were leaving, and, and I was a participant in the service. One of the other pastors did the service. It seemed like every world, word fell sort of hollow. And at the very end, they were playing the, the song, old worship song, We Will Worship the Lamb of Glory. And as everyone was leaving, she just lifted up her hands and she worshiped the Lord. Reminded me of Job. Though he slay me, I will trust in him. There was that story. And then uh, a while after that, a young man uh, comes and uh, he says, Hey, Pastor Ben, I just want to say goodbye because I'm leaving. I'm going to graduate school. He's going to UCLA. Real smart kid. And it was, that was a big church. I passed for about 5,000 people. So I didn't know everyone personally. And I said, Hey, tell me your story. And he said, Well, I came to know Jesus here. And he said, I was going through a time, and he, he struggled with depression. He said, I was actually working in a funeral home, which is probably not a great place to work if you struggle with depression. Uh, uh, just saying. So, uh, but he said, I was working at this funeral, and he described the situation of being at that funeral and seeing that woman and putting her hope in God, and he said, maybe there's a shot for me too. The final thought for you is to remember that your hope your opportunity is right now. And I don't know what your struggle, maybe it's externally what's coming from the outside, what's been said about you or done to you, or you've done. I, I, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking of uh, Lynn, who I've had the opportunity uh, to know for the last number of years, and and her struggle has been more with issues of health. And, and I want you to hear her story, but I want you to listen closely because she's so positive, it's almost easy to skip over the pain after pain after pain. But I want you to hear how Jesus is meeting her right in the middle of it. Here's her story. Hi, my name is Lynn, and I've been coming to Timberlake since 2009. Like a lot of people, I... Um was looking for a church home and um, unfortunately one of my friends was diagnosed with ovarian cancer who was coming to Timberlake and she said, hey, you should come with me. It's just gonna be a really easy, chill service. About 13 of us came every single Sunday and that was just so important to April. Um, she lost her battle eight months into the disease. It was, it was very emotional and a lot of people said, are you gonna continue to go to Timberlake after April passes. And I said, absolutely, I, I found my church home. Um, my husband, who was not brought up in the church, said, hey, honey, guess what? And I said, what? And he goes, I met Pastor Ben's eyes on Sunday. And he's like, yeah, I, I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. And I was like, 
oh my gosh, this is so exciting because like I said, he didn't have a church background. And um, from that point on, we both got baptized together. I had already been baptized, but I wanted to be baptized as an adult and with my husband. Um, and so we joined the church and we continued coming. And then I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. He was diagnosed with type one diabetes, all within three months of each other. And so um, I was scared, you know, to be told you have an incurable disease. MS stands for multiple sclerosis. It is a disease, um, a neurological disease. It affects your nerves. So um, things can fire all at one time and things cannot fire at some times. Um, it challenges you. It challenges you because when you lose control of your body, especially at a young age, it's it, it just really makes you think, wow, this, this is no longer in my control. It's in God's control. I've always had that sense of calm, knowing that everything happens for a reason. But was I angry? Absolutely, I was angry. Absolutely. And I was really angry when my MS really started to take hold of me. Um, losing my license, having to go to work part-time, a lot of times in a wheelchair. Um, so yeah, that's when I was definitely in my angry space. In the moment where I decided, okay, enough of the pity party. I always tell people you can only have a pity party for so long. It's time to get up, get moving. I had gone to treatment at the hospital and I had met a young man, Karsten, who also has MS, who unfortunately lost his battle. But Karsten was a 21-year-old stuck in a three-year-old's body and was just excited for life and so excited about God. And everything was, yay God, yay God. And he'd say, Lynn, you can do this with God. And I don't know, I felt like that was kind of a little message from God that here's, we're going to take care of you. It's going to be okay. And um, still to this day, I pray every single morning because some mornings are harder than others. And um, I just, I just rely on my faith. I honestly rely on my faith more than I rely on medicine. And so here we are, both of us with these diseases in this marriage, trying to figure out how are we going to do this. At the same point, I believe that God had a plan because the fact that we both have diseases, we understand each other. And so there's no, hey, let's go out, let's go do this. We understand each other. And I think honestly, him being diagnosed is what brought him to God. I'm not saying Pastor Ben's message didn't do a great job because it did, um, but I think Johnny felt and saw my connection with God and that I was okay with my disease. And I think that he thought, okay, this, this guy's obviously something, you know, I, I can put my worries somewhere else and God does whatever he gives you, he will help you through. And um, he's done exactly that for us. I don't think I'd be where I am today if it wasn't for Jesus. And like I said, there's some Sundays I can't get here, but I can be here every single Sunday on my cell phone or my iPad or whatever. And I just feel like Timberlake is, it's, it's the hug that I need every single and, um, and my husband feels the same way. A lot's happened in my life, a lot. In fact, I just became a grandma four months ago. And Jesus is my calm. When things are just out of control, which they get out of control, I just always know that I can just say a prayer, close my eyes, and Jesus is with me. And um, it's like having a best friend, but it's better than a best friend because He's also a healer, and he's a healer emotionally, physically, spiritually, and um, 
we just are very connected. Will you pray with me? God, we uh, uh, pray that you would be the calm in our heart, in our life, in our nation, in our world. And God, we, we know that what we can do in this moment is respond to you. And Lord, I, I pray for my friends who are here today, and God, that they have been hurt so deeply. God, it seems like a wound that, that no one could heal. And, and God, I pray that you would come as great physician. And Lord, that you promise as Holy Spirit that you would be our comforter. When you, because we're this side of heaven, are simply walking through this pain with us, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual. God, I pray for my friends who are here today, and, and there's a missing piece, and that missing piece is, is you. And, and if you're here and you say, you know, Ben, I, I feel like I want God in my life like Lynn talked about. Uh, but I'm unsure, or I, I don't know. Do you know that you can be sure in this moment? doesn't happen by going to church or uh, becoming a member or a catechism. It happens when we personally invite Jesus Christ into our life. And if you can never remember a time doing that before, I invite you to do that even this moment. That you would say something like this to God. Uh, you pray silently, I'll pray out loud. You say, God, I thank you for your uh, calm in the midst of the storms of our world in my life. God, I thank you for your love. I don't always understand what you're up to, but God, I always understand, or I understand at least in this moment, that I need you. I need you as I examine my own life as the forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life. And so I invite you into my heart and my life today, Jesus. And I want to follow you the rest of my life. The Bible says as we invite Jesus Christ into our life, that, that we become new. You may not feel new. You may get the sense of his presence. But God says as far as the east is from the west, that far he removes our sins from us. He says, I will remember your sins no more. Scripture says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that means you. God did not exclude you. No matter what your pain, your past, or your problem. God, I thank you for my friends who've taken that step to say yes to you today, Jesus. God, I, I pray that you would just work in our hearts, in our lives, in our church. God, that we would not come as people with all the answers, but a radical faith and trust in you, Jesus, and that you would change our hearts, our families, our communities. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.